What a powerful name, the name of Jesus, the name that saves us, the name that we can believe in and know that he has promised that he will always be with us. It's great today to be able to come and glorify and lift up the name of Jesus for that is the reason we are here is to glorify and honor him and to give back our praises unto him for what he's done for us. And now as we come into the time of the morning of our service that we come before him in prayer, any that want to come and bow at the altars now is a good time to come and, and bring uh, your petitions before him. And, then, and we'll have the children come and bow before us here in, on this platform and, and as they come to the, the steps and present themselves to God and any family members that want to come. We just give praise to God today that we can be here. Father, we thank you for this day. We know that it's because of your love for us. We can be here because you gave us your one and only son who came and died on the cross for me and for each and every one in the world. And what a beautiful name it is. What an awesome name. A name that needs to be glorified today. For there's so many in the world today, Father, that don't know you. I pray, Father, that you will begin to open their hearts and eyes and ears so that they can recognize that it's you that our hope is built upon. It is you that brings us salvation. It is you that brings us what we need in our everyday life, to the path that we need to take. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace, your faithfulness. Everything that you have given to us, Father, is from you. All good gifts come from you. We thank you, Father, that we have this opportunity to meet in this house today, that we could come to it today collectively and bring our petitions to you and to recognize that you are the God of the universe. You were here in the beginning. It was you who created the heavens and the earth and everything that there is. You created us. And you created us in your image so that we could come back and, and worship you and honor and adore you, Father. We thank you for this opportunity that we can be here today. Help us to be what you want us to be. Create us within us the desire to, to be the witness that you want us to be. For it is our witness that helps others to find you. And help us, Father, to be that through this week. To recognize that you give to us the power. You give us the power to be the witnesses that you want us to be. Let us claim that power and to, to use it in a mighty and special way. We thank you, Father, for these boys and girls that are lining this stage this morning, for their lives are so precious. And Father, help them to realize at this early age how important you are and how important it will be to have you in their lives through the, as they grow up, that they will recognize that you are the one that will give them the path of, of righteousness and that you will lead them in the way that they should go. Help these parents that are here today to be the leaders and the guide and the directors of their home, that they will continue to fellowship with them in the word and pray for these boys and girls on a daily basis. Father, we thank you for them in our church, for they are today's church. 
They are tomorrow's church. They are the future's church. And we just pray for each and every one of them. We lift them up to you. They are your children. And we give them to you. We pray for Miss Anna as she works with them and all of her workers. Give her the words to say today that will touch their hearts. Be with those workers that are back there that they will help her to direct those avenues of, of learning about you. And Father, we just pray that you'll be with each and every one of us. Be with those that are not able to be here today. We think of uh, Miss Jabra, and we think of uh, Miss Cynthia and, and uh, Miss Berlene, and as they're healing and as they're coming through uh, sickness and difficulties. And we pray, Father, that you will give your healing touch upon you, for you are the great physician, and we believe in you, and we know that you can go and anoint them and be with them today and heal them. Touch their lives today with with Briley as she continues to heal after this surgery and, and, and not knowing what's going to take place with her her leg. But we pray, Father, that your will will be done and that healing will take place. We just trust you and believe in you today. And we lift up our praise to you for who you are and for what you've done in each of our lives. And as the ushers come... And we take up the offering today. Father, we, it's just a, a portion of what you have already given to us. But help us to be faithful to give back to you. So be with the gift. Be with the giver. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory in the powerful, awesome name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, that's it. The kids go off into their learning environment. Let's be in prayer for them and their workers. Just a couple of announcements short. Uh, Upward Soccer is uh, going to be starting soon. Miss Rochelle could use your help, so please see her and uh, let her know what you can do. Sign up the kids. There are sign-up sheets out in the foyer for signing up the kids for soccer. What a great avenue to reach our community. Uh, also, Alabaster Sunday is coming up in September. If you don't know what that is, Alabaster funds help to go to build churches, uh, missionary homes, schools, and uh, other avenues, even hospitals in other countries and our own country where it's needed. So if you don't have an Alabaster box, see me. I'll make sure you get one. Start putting your... Uh, money in it, so we'll collect it on September the 22nd. Thank you. Oh, that's my cue. I was over here paying attention to the kids. How y'all doing? Hello, McFly. <laughs> Good to be with you this morning. Uh, we're going to get into God's Word here shortly, and I just want to let you all know that we're glad that you're in God's house this morning. Uh, every person who is here to worship God, that uh, if we hold up our cups... He's going to fill them up to overflowing. And uh, so that's why we've come, is so that God could just speak to us and minister to us, no matter where you are in your life, what you're going through, what you might be facing. God's an amazing God, and he's a huge God. He's the kind of God that wants to come into our lives and just flip them right side up. So if we'll uh, be agreeable to his Holy Spirit and to his word this morning, say amen. amen. Me too. Amen. Last week we were in uh, 1 Corinthians, and we were in chapter 1. If you recall, we were examining the words of the Apostle Paul where he was talking about that among us there should be no divisions, that we should uh, be agreeable with one another. 
And uh, the, the purpose of all of that was that we glorify God with one unified um, mentality and unity of purpose that we're able to move the kingdom of God forward the way that he would have us to. And if there's no divisions among us and we're all focused on him, well, then we're going to be able to uh, advance the ball. Uh, to, to borrow a football analogy, as football season, at least college-wise, has already begun. And, uh, but we want to move the ball forward. We want to move the kingdom of God and advance it uh, violently. And uh, violently, not, not in a violent way, but passionately and with all vigor and with excitement that we would be able to bring glory and honor to our God. So we're going to continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, so let's go there now and we'll reread what we read last week and then move forward, okay? So it says, I appeal to you, brothers... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's where we were last week. So verse 11 is where we're going to be and we're going to move forward a little bit further from there and talk about uh, what the apostle is really getting at. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Paul's not even there. Paul's not present. He's not ministering there at all. But he's been reading on Facebook. Uh, maybe he received an email. Um, no, neither of those. It's amazing how word traveled. Um, whether he received a personal letter or maybe there was uh, some kind of... Um, network of people that were still with Paul and, and able to kind of hear what was going on over there that they conveyed it to Paul. We really kind of don't know exactly how he heard it, but we know that he was aware of it. And, and the specifics are there. Uh, now granted, these individuals aren't named, but what is named is Chloe, uh, Chloe's household. He said some of the people in Chloe's household, there's bickering and arguing going on. And so it's, it's reached me. And, and you think about if he's not there, and they didn't have the benefit of social media and, and uh, the information that was readily available like we received, that word had traveled. It was that much of, a, of an issue, uh, that much of a, of a situation that Paul had to address it in a letter. I mean, right off the bat, he's already fil finished all of the salutations, all of the formalities of saying hello and, and wishing them grace and peace and love and all of that, that the very first thing off the bat is to address a problem going on in Chloe's household. And those days, what they had is in the, in the homes where they met is where the fellowships were. And so the Apostle Paul, realizing that in a fellowship, the equivalent of, say, a church or maybe a church plant for our purposes, that what he's realizing is that the work that God wants to do through this uh, body of believers is being stifled or at least has the possibility to be stifled because there's these issues going on in that fellowship. So now he's got to deal with it. He's got to address it. And um, so he names specifically where the issue is, where the problem is. And uh, so I love that about the Apostle Paul, that he's not uh, afraid to tackle the issue, to address the problem. And why is it that maybe in the church sometimes we have to do that? Why is it that sometimes we have to have meetings to address uh, whether there's some kind of um, uh, quarrel going on between two believers or two groups of believers? Why is it that we have to schedule times 
uh, to, to uh, meet and maybe to, to sort it all out, to pray together for the purposes of what? So that we might be able to rectify the situation and then move the thing forward. You see, what the devil knows is that if there's going to be issues or problems uh, that he can create among the believers in the fellowships, he knows that they're not going to be able to advance God's agenda. Here's a question for you. What do we have at the very top of our priority list? Would it be something that we would maybe champion that we really care about, something that's really important to us in the church, where, you know, that's kind of our pet thing, that's our baby, that's uh, our claim to fame, you know, and there have been folks where I've served, you know, different churches, different places, maybe even here, you know, some different ministries that somebody says, hey, you can't touch that ministry, that ministry's my ministry. Uh, hey, you can't touch that very, uh, you know, that opportunity for for a church, you know, because this is something that I've always kind of just seen the value. And somebody kind of just doesn't want to move forward because that's their deal. We've never stopped to think about, well, is this God's deal? Is this something that God wants? You know, in terms of like, for instance, a situation, a ministry that has been going on in the church for a long time, maybe for maybe a few years, maybe a decade or more, where it's kind of been our claim to fame. It's kind of been our thing. You know, I, I don't want to stand up here and throw rocks from my glass house. I don't want to do that. I, I want to be able to say that together, all of us have, have been or will be tempted in that kind of a capacity. And I can tell you that from my own experience as a pastor, that there have been some things that I've wanted to kind of just be famous for. I don't mean famous, you know, that I'm known by. But I'm just talking about this is my calling card. This is my reputation, you know. And one of those reputations was that, man, you know, when I preach the word, it's tough. And there's going to be accountability. And you better, you better just grab a hold of it and buck up and take it or, or you can leave it. Early on, that was kind of my calling card. That was what I was kind of known for. And I think it came from the way that I coached. You know, before I was a pastor, I was a coach. And I used to coach that way. I was an authoritative type of a, of a, of a coach, disciplinarian. And, um, you know, this kind of carried over into ministry. And when I was a youth pastor and then the pastor adults uh, in, the, in the place where I was a staff person, that's what I was known for, you know. And they, they would say things like, man, you don't play around with Pastor Steve. That guy doesn't jack around. He doesn't mess around with the word. He's just going to cut it straight. And I would hear those things, and it was almost, listen to this, it was almost this kind of a, of a pride that I began to develop because I had that kind of a reputation. And it began to create more of a, of a problem in that if God needed me, me to be something else, I wouldn't allow it because it's not part of my reputation. And what happened is I began to be a, a slave to my reputation. Can anybody at all relate? I mean, like kind of your calling card, the thing that you're known for, the thing that you've been good at. Uh, and it could be whether you're at work, but it can also bleed into the church. And what we do is we begin to kind of almost feel like we're trapped to be that person, to operate within the construct of that kind of a reputation or, uh, or something that you've been known to be. And I want to say this morning, as a Christian, as a blood-bought child of the King, 
that this morning we get to be whatever God wants us to be. And he's the one that reserves the right to define who we're going to be. I love it that, you know, even something good, like being authoritative with the word. How many guys agree that that's a good thing to be, is authoritative with the word? Absolutely. How many of us realize that it's a good thing to cut it pretty straight and to just, boom. Anybody agree with that as well? Absolutely. And, and those things are all good. What we add to this is that however God wants to divulge his pleasing and perfect will through our lives, that he is the one at the end of the day that says, okay, you said it this way, and now I want you to say it this way. And neither of those two things are going to contradict each other because the validity of the truth remains. But the thing that we need to do is remember at all times that we are clay in the potter's hand. And he's the one that gets to shape us and mold us. Now what you have in this story is a group of people that are operating in spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is one of the most deceptive things that happens in the church. The devil is in the business of trying to get us to take something good that God has done. I'm going to break this down a little bit this morning. How many of you would agree that God has done something really good in your life? How many of us would say this morning that God has allowed for me to understand his word? How many of us would say God has allowed me to serve in a ministry and that ministry has been a good thing? How many of us would say that of all the good attributes that the Holy Spirit, when we examine the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that you have those things in your life? It is a true statement this morning that as good as all of those things are because they come from God, that the devil will try to jump on top of every single one of those things and make them a point of pride. If we're not careful, if we don't stay close to God, if we don't maintain a humble walk with Him, these things can actually be flipped. And all of a sudden, we think that all of these things originate in us. Now, of course, we know that that's not true. But it is very easy for us to actually use them for our advancement. What you have here is that God had done a great work through the Apostle Paul with the Corinthians. Outstanding. It was good. God was also doing great things through other teachers as well. There was a guy named Apollos, and we're going to read about him here in a little while. God was doing things through other believers there in Corinth. And all of a sudden then, instead of keeping their focus on God, which is what these people would have preached, all of them would have been preaching the same thing. Listen, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. This is the thing that, Jesus, that, that uh, these, these teachers, including Paul and Apollos and Cephas, who's Peter, these other teachers, they were advancing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what happened, and it happens back in the first century as much as it's happening today is that we can take our eyes off of the message that promotes Jesus and actually put it on the people who are projecting the message. 
Here he's saying that this argument, this quarreling that's going on is exactly this issue that we're studying this morning, which is here's the message to focus on him. And instead of focusing on him, we're going to focus on man. And really, we're going to make ourselves the very altar, the very you know, object of worship. We're going to look at us instead. And now, uh, it's not going to be about Jesus. As much as we talk about that it's about Jesus, we're going to make it about us. And this is what's happening. So here he's saying this quarreling is going on. It's reached me. I've heard about it. I know about it. And he's going to address it. So it says, verse 12, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. <laughs> you have divisions. You have factions. Last week we were talking about how these factions kind of rear up their ugly head in a church. We were talking about how sometimes it can be cosmetic. It can be like, you know, for instance, the way that the decor looks or, uh, you know, a, a kind of worship that we have, whether it's, you know, uh, contemporary or maybe it's traditional. Uh, it can be, for instance, uh, you know, we don't like decisions that are made. And so all of a sudden then we begin to align ourselves with people who think the same way that we think. And pretty soon there's all these different, different factions within the church. And, and so this is what he was talking about last week, and we were talking about last week. And he's saying here, what's going on is that there's, there's folks that are kind of attaching themselves to these personalities, to these people who uh, were, were the leaders and the teachers in this fellowship. And so now they're splintered and they're divided. Now, why is it that human beings do this? Have you ever wondered? You ever wondered why people do this, have this temptation to want to kind of just attach themselves to these different agendas, these different personalities? Why do people do this? Well, it, let me just say this. This morning it is not evil. It's not a bad thing to have preferences. Everybody here know that it's a good thing to have a, a preference? It's not a, it's, God makes us that way. How many of you people enjoy a barbecue maybe that's the wrong question in Texas we say you know when when I go to a barbecue I like good sauce do we have any sauce people any sauce people it's got to be good barbecue sauce how many of you guys are dry rub people I, I could, you say this morning, I could care less about sauce if it's good dry rub. When you go to the barbecue, are there people, maybe I shouldn't have talked about this with everybody wanting lunch, but we're, gonna, we're just going to go with it, okay? We're just going to go with it. We might have to go a little bit shorter, I don't know. You say, you know what, I'm a sausage person. I like sausage. I like smoked sausage. I like spicy smoked sausage. Any sausage people? That's, that's you. Okay. I'm, I like sausage. I love it. Brisket people. No, okay, well, now we're in Texas. Because people are brisket people. Do we like the, the, uh, the sliced brisket or do we like it torn up?
who likes the lean brisket? Do more, people like more of the juicy brisket that has a little bit of the fat in it? See, I'm on this side of it. That's when you take your cholesterol pills. When you go to a barbecue, are you somebody that just wants a burger? There's some people, they go to a barbecue, they want a burger. I mean, they just kind of, that's what they do. We could sit here and break down burgers, too, if you want. We could do that. The point of what I'm saying is that this morning, it doesn't make anybody wrong or evil to have preferences. All of us know what we like. Every single one of us in this room, we kind of just latch on to what we enjoy. And there is nothing wrong with any of that. In the first century, you had where they might have enjoyed the kind of philosophical uh, preaching that the Apollo, the, this, uh, this uh, teacher, Apollos, was known for. And, there, and, and when you read the commentaries, what you find out about Apollos is that he was a very intelligent and philosophical type of a teacher. And he brought them the message of the gospel in that manner. There would have been a lot of the people in Corinth, when you're talking about the Greek mentality, the Greek culture, that when Apollos was bringing the word when he was preaching about Jesus that they would have latched on to that style nothing wrong with that I've had people before where when they did their study of of this uh, particular passage that what they realized was that there were these people then if they would have attached themselves to Apollos they would have prided themselves with being philosophical they might have looked down their nose at the Apostle Paul because maybe he wasn't as philosophical is in, a, in his approach when he preached the gospel. So then these believers who preferred the teaching of Apollos would have looked at the followers, uh, the people who preferred the teachings of Paul, and they would have looked down their nose at his teachings and those followers. And you say, wait a minute, why would you do that? Why would somebody take something beautiful, something that God intended for good things, and all of a sudden twist it and use it this way? Well, let's not get down on the people of Apollos. I mean, I'm telling you, now we have these people that really preferred the teachings of Paul. And what some of the commentators talked about is that in his approach, he was very hands-on and very common-sense type of a teacher. He was somebody that would have probably followed along the lines uh, of, of the parable and trying to make everything uh, make sense for the people that he was talking to. What he would do is he would look at his audience and he would begin to weigh where they were. And then when he would do it, he would try to convey it in a way that they were going to be able to latch on to it and understand it. Let me just say, to digress a tad, is that in my ministry, everywhere I've ever been, that is the highest compliment that any teacher can ever receive. Is that you convey this in a way that I can understand it, in a way that I can grab a hold of it, in a way that I'm able to perceive it. That I can take it and I can actually go use it. And the Apostle Paul was very good at that. He was masterful. And it wasn't that he couldn't be philosophical. He was absolutely trained and he was very intelligent. And when you're talking about that he was somebody that would have understood Greek philosophy and Greek culture, he was brought up under all of that. He was also someone who was brought up under a great uh, Jewish teacher named Gamaliel. And we heard about him back in Acts, uh, exercising his wisdom. You remember Gamaliel? He said, consider you guys what you're going to do with these disciples, these apostles. Consider very carefully what you do with them. Uh, because you know what? If you, if, if you fight in God on this one, if God is the one who sent these guys, you're not going to fight against men. You're fighting against God. 
That's Gamaliel. Well, the Apostle Paul came up under him. And so this guy had vast knowledge. He very easily could have done some of the things that Apollos was doing, but he chose to take it a different route. And you talk about Cephas. Who is Cephas? We're talking about Peter, right? One thing about the Apostle Peter is that he was a fisherman. He, was, he wasn't Apollos, and he wasn't Paul. There was no training under Gamaliel for Peter. If he, he was kind of the, the school of hard knocks. He was probably one of these blue-collar type people that really just didn't, you know, wasn't polished or anything like that. But what did, what did we know about Peter? From the Gospels, we know about Peter is that he was kind of just to cut it straight. I'm just going to throw it out there. When you go to the book of Acts, and at the very beginning, when uh, the, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? remember uh, Pentecost in chapter 2? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that Peter went out and he preached a sermon. And we have a copy of that sermon there in Acts chapter 2. And when he preaches, you read it and you see it's passion. Peter was the guy, honestly, when we do it in the, in the Gospels, he whips out his sword the night that Jesus was handed over. And he's like, wah! It slices, it dices. You know, one of those deals. And, and dude's ear falls on the floor. I mean, he was the kind of guy that was ultra-passionate. One thing that I would have loved to have seen just firsthand would have been the, the passion that he preached with. Did you know there's some people that really just like someone who's just passionate? Just somebody, one of those, uh, we used to know them as, what is it, uh, uh, fire and brimstone preachers, those kind of guys that th they'd have to loosen their tie and even throw the tie on the floor and they were drenched. You guys remember those guys before there was air conditioning? The first time I ever went to a church, I went to a Pentecostal church, the first one that I never went, that I went to that wasn't a, a Catholic church. I was in the Air Force, and I was in Abilene, Texas, and they took me to this church. Uh, it was in Ty. Does anybody know where Ty, Texas is? It's right outside of Abilene. It's right by Dice Air Force Base. And uh, somebody invited me to church, and coming from Catholic church, going to a Pentecostal church, <laughs> what? is this, like, I, this guy's name was Pulliam. His last name was Pulliam, Pastor Pulliam. And he got up there, and he started, like, yelling. You ever, you ever been in a church where they, they just, like, the pastor's not yelling at the people. He's just so excited that he can't do it. Thank you for coming this morning. God bless you. We're so grateful. He's just excited. I mean, he's just passionate. My first pastor, after I was born again in Albuquerque, same kind of guy. When he would preach, he would yell the whole time. You'd be like, your hair, if you had hair, it was like, <sighs> I mean, you didn't even sit hardly in the front row because this guy was spitting the whole time. I mean, he was just passionate. And, and it was amazing because coming out of sports, when you had a coach that was just yell at you and get after you and all that kind of thing, he was a motivator. And one thing that we were able to glean, whether I was at first church experience in the Pentecostal church or my old pastor at the Church of the Nazarene, that guy was passionate. You never left there wondering what he believed. You knew what he believed because you saw the passion with which he preached. That's what I believe about Peter. And when you read Acts chapter 2 and you see what he preached, you can feel the passion. So you have a group of people that are probably very excited about the philosophical um, approach. 
You would have had maybe a common sense type of an approach that the Apostle Paul gave, absolutely. And then there's Cephas, Paul, Peter, who was being used in a different way. Now, here, let me just say this before we go move further. Maybe you've had different pastors. And you can appreciate every single one of them for what they brought to the table. Because they do it in different ways. God uses people in different ways. In a time of transition, let me just say this to you. Whatever pastor that you ever have, whatever Bible teacher or discipler that God ever allows for you to have in your life, allow for them to operate in the gifting that God has given them. And don't be unfair to them that you compare them to someone else. The same way that you wouldn't want to have that done if you were in their shoes. There are some people that God uses in different ways. And what I want to say is that no matter what, when you look at a passage like this one, that God is using all of them for his redemptive purposes. And they're all good in their unique way. Whether you're talking about a Pastor Roger or a Pastor Steve or a Pastor Bain or a Pastor Pulliam or a Pastor fill-in-the-blank, that God wants to use every single one of them for what purpose? It's to glorify Him. These people were missing it because they were focused on the man. They were focused on the gift. Instead of the man and instead of the gift giver. If I could just think about all the people that God has used in my life. I mean, they're all different. It's crazy. Pastor Bain was somebody that we would sit in the car. He's just a, he's got two speeds, this guy. If you ever get a chance to meet him, right now he is uh, the overhead of all church planting in the Church of the Nazarene. He's, he works at headquarters now. This is the kind of guy, if you ever get a chance to meet him, he has two speeds. Asleep and full throttle. He doesn't do anything. Half speed. I just don't. We could be driving in a car. I remember many times. One time we went to Point Loma because he was on the board of trustees. And he's driving down the freeway going about 80 miles an hour on the California freeway. And he's got a cup of Dunkin' Donuts without the lid on it. And it's full. And he's on the phone. This before hands free. And we're going, I'm not exaggerating. Ask Jennifer. She he would do stuff like this. Take a quick phone call. Hey, hello, hey brother. Hey, grab the grab the wheel, bro. Grab the wheel. He was he was doing this. Like driving a car down the California freeway with his knee. Grab the wheel. I'm like you might want to pull over or hang the phone up or put the coffee down. I'll grab the coffee. You drive. What, is, what exit is it? Now, here's the crazy part. He would have this coffee cup open, and he wouldn't spill a drop. And I'm like, if that was me, there'd be coffee flying everywhere. What, what exit is it, brother? What, yeah, okay, well, we're going to meet you there. What exit is it? Oh, well, we're getting ready to pass. Hold on, hold on. 
put the and and cut people off, and we're cutting, and I'm like, we're gonna die. Yeah, we got it. We, we yeah, no, I, we're gonna be there. All right, is it a right or a left? And I'm just like, this guy is just nuts, and we just nonstop. You'd be in a car with this guy, and he'd be yelling at you because not not, not because he's yelling at you, because he talks loudly. And I remember one time I'm like this in the passenger seat because he's actually hurting my ears. A lot of, he's be, and I'm like this. And he goes, what's wrong? Uh, well, you're busting my eardrum. You talk loud, bro. I, I mean, I, like, I love you with all my heart. You're my pastor. You're hurting my ear. <laughs> I, I don't talk loud. Do I talk loud, brother? I, I didn't think I talked loud. A little bit. Full speed, man, full throttle. One thing about this guy is not everybody liked him. It, he wasn't their cup of tea. But one thing you couldn't mistake about that guy is that he loved the Lord. And that he wanted to be used of God to connect more people to the same God he loved. God used him. And that, there was this guy that I used to know, and his name was Mike. Mike was a mystical sort of fellow. When he would talk about Jesus, he'd be sitting there and he'd say, okay, this is you. This is God. This is the church. He always had to use things. He's always pulling stuff. And this right here, this is his will for you. And you'd be sitting there and you'd be looking at the salt shaker and the, there will be times, Jennifer can attest to this, this individual. There will be times I'd be like, I have no idea what you were talking about. Like, what are you saying, bro? Just say it. Am I the salt shaker? Oh, okay. I, I'm actually the ketchup bottle. Okay, I, I, I got it. I got it. And you, <laughs> you'd leave there and you'd be like, he could have just told me what he wanted to say. But one thing about Mike, the guy loved God. And he wanted to commit, connect as many people to God as possible. There was another guy that I used to know. And he was the kind of guy, honestly, I'd have to ask him to raise his voice because I, I don't know which, I couldn't hear you, bro, I'm sorry. He would, he would try to communicate things, and I had to almost just stop because I couldn't, like, with some people, I'll say, walk with me. Come on, I got to get some other things done. Let's go. Talk to me. And we go together. I couldn't do that with him. I had to stop, and I had to sometimes even watch his mouth because one of those things where he was so soft-spoken and so just, but I'll tell you something about this guy. When he would speak, he was like E.F. Hutton. You guys remember the, um, uh, the commercial? Remember, what was, it, what was their moniker? They say, when E.F. Hutton talks... People listen. He was one of those guys, when he spoke, that was profound. I'm glad I stopped and took the time to make sure I heard what you just said. I could be here all day talking about different people that God has used in my life. But every single one of them, albeit they had different personalities, different methods, different styles, that I was able to recognize the value of over and beyond my own preferences. 
to grab a hold of the benefit that they were presenting that came from God. And I'm going to tell you something. You can miss out on a benefit. Grab a hold of this this morning. You and I can miss out on the benefit that God is trying to divvy out to his church when we're so locked in on our preferences. When I'm locked in on what I'm used to, when, you, when you're just so sold out on my habits and the way it's always been done. Listen, church. You guys hold the key to being able to grab a hold of the deep truths of God if you can get over how you've always done it. Is it possible that some of the methods and some of the strategies that we have in the churches have become stale? That we're just so locked in and this is the, the, the habit, this is the, the way we do it, this is the way it's done. That God doesn't have the right to come in and say, yeah, well, that's fine, but I'd like this. I'd like you to consider this. I mean, even, even examine some of the things that you do. Forget as a church corporately. Think about what you are as an individual. Has your faith become stagnant? Have you gotten into a rut spiritually? Because your strategies, the ways that you approach God, it's always the same thing. And God doesn't allow to break in. He's not allowed to do it. Because the people that are Apollos and the people that are Cephas and the people that are Paul and those people even said that I follow Christ. That maybe it's not really any of these people necessarily, but it's these ruts that we've gotten into because we've always done it the same way. And here's the crazy part. It's, this is kind of scary. I speak from experience where I've put God on notice. God, you can't do that. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. Don't you know? And we don't say that. But we say it. It bleeds. And when we talk about God saying, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something new. Now, we say this all the time in the church. We have songs and we have, we've heard sermons and teachings on God doing a new thing. How many are excited about God doing a new thing? Well, I don't know. I don't know that we're that excited about it because change? Who likes change? Did you see? Um, uh, okay, I'm going to talk about more food. Burger King came out with a veggie burger. A flame broiled veggie burger. And these people on the commercial, I don't know how gullible they think we are. Oh, it tastes just like a Whopper. It's so good. I didn't even know it was a hamburger. I didn't know it was a veggie burger. I couldn't believe it. Are you serious? And they're biting. I'm thinking, Pff. let's see the real commercial. They, <laughs> That's probably what really happened. 
That's the most disgusting thing I ever put in my mouth. Are we done? Are we done rolling? Roll the tape, right? Roll the real tape. I remember the first time that they were talking about changing, you know, uh, do you guys remember when Burger King fries used to be like McDonald's fries? They were pretty close. This is, we're talking about the, maybe the late 80s. I don't know if you remember this. They were pretty close. They were kind of similar. And Burger King decided they wanted to go to their own fry that gave them their own identity. Does anybody remember this? Well, I remember it. I remember that. I didn't go to Burger King for years when they changed their fries. I love flame, flame broil. We don't like change. Change is hard. Change is something that human beings are kind of just like, I like change if you're the one changing. But I don't want to change. I don't know if I've ever done this in here. I'm going to do it this morning. All right. Humor me. This morning, put your hands together like you're going to pray. Every, I want everybody to do this unless you have physical problems, like you've got arthritis or something like that. Okay, just humor me. Put them together just like that. All right, now. How many of you guys have the right thumb over the left thumb when you do that? How many? Okay. Wow. Okay, switch it. Everybody switch it. Everybody switch it. Put the other thumb on top of the other one. That feels weird, doesn't it? Isn't that weird? That doesn't feel right. Like that's off. Like the people who do it like this, they're, they need prayer. They got, they got spiritual problems or something. Because you can't pray to God like this. Lord, I can't even think about the prayer. Okay, let's switch back. Lord, it's weird. All right, humor me one more time. Cross your arms. Okay, how many of you guys have the right hand over and the left hand under okay now let's go ahead and switch it See, if you can even do it that does not feel right that just doesn't I don't even know what to do with my hand like if you look at my hand watch I'm gonna move my arm my hands like this I don't even know what to do with it. I don't even know how to relax it it just doesn't it's weird that's just really strange We did that in seminary. I remember the first time that we did that. I mean, everybody's like short-circuiting and twitching and stuff because it's just strange. But it's an example of how uncomfortable change can be. I don't know that we appreciate what God is trying to do sometimes when we're as uncomfortable as we've ever been when he presents something to us that's different. How can I develop an appreciation for the uncomfortable if I'm pushing away the change with everything that I have? 
Okay. More food. We went to San Diego one time. My wife uh, went to, uh, she completed her master's degree at Point Loma. And I remember uh, she had to take one of the cohort classes. We had to actually go there for her to take the class. And I thought, San Diego? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Let's go. <laughs> you go to school, I'm going to go play golf. And she says, now I, I, let, me, let me just kind of give you a little bit of background. Growing up in New Mexico, I know what Mexican food is. Like, I know what that is. By the way, if you didn't know this, I'm Hispanic. I have abuelitas that cook authentic food. My mom cooks authentic food. I know what that is. And the first time I ever heard of fish tacos, I thought, that's an abomination. People will go to hell for that. A fish taco. I mean, I pictured some fish that they caught in the river with the head still on and the fins and, and just put in a tortilla and eating it like that. I, I had images in my mind. And people would talk about fish tacos. I thought, man, that is not right. So we're in San Diego and we went to a place called the Brigantine. It's pretty known for their fish tacos. And Jen goes, let's go there and let's have fish tacos. And I'm like, I'll just order something else. I'm not eating that. I'm not trying to eat that. So we go. We sit down, she orders fish tacos, I ordered a grilled cheese, or I don't know what I ordered. And I figured a grilled cheese would be safe, you know. So we're sitting down, and she gets her fish tacos. Now, these tacos, they had these corn tortillas that were fresh made. They made, they made the, the, the corn tortillas there. And they had this beautiful battered cod in, in the, in the, and then these ingredients on the top of it, they had like coleslaw on there fresh that they made. And it had pico de gallo on it. And I mean, the salsa that they had on it was actually like a mango salsa. And then they put queso fresco all over the top of it. And then ranch, ranch sauce or jalapeno ranch sauce on it. And I'm like, do you want to bite? Well, you know, if you want. I'll try a bite. They look disgusting. But I'll, I'll try. I guess I'll try a bite, you know. Okay. And I, had to, I almost had to be a slave because I had dogged fish tacos for so long. I had been a strict opponent of fish tacos that I almost had to not like them. There was a split second that I had this dilemma in my mind. Am I going to be a proponent of fish tacos? Because what's going on in my taste buds is a rocking thing. <laughs> this is pretty stinking good. And at this point, I kind of almost had like a death grip on the taco. That now we're past the point of no return. And I said, you know, honey, I'll just finish this one since I, you know, I just already, I'll just finish this one. She goes, you like them, don't you? I mean, they're all right. Yeah, right. Fish tacos, man, that's something in my life that I had never tried. 
Now, I could have been, I'm going to stick to my guns and I'm going to be a purist and I'm not going to go that route because I'm from New Mexico and this is what we've always done and that is the way I think and that's just the way it's going to be. But let me tell you what, I would have foregone the benefit of eating something good like that and I enjoyed it. Man, like I enjoy, I didn't know that I could enjoy that. There are things that we forego all the time in, in spiritual conversation because we've always done it like this and it's always been like this and the pastor has to talk like this he's got to look like this he's got to present sermons that look like this and if it doesn't work within that construct well then it can't be from God and you know what that couldn't be further from the truth these people were missing out could you imagine if you were in the camp of Apollos well those people that Paul reached and the people that like Paul well then they can have Paul. Could you imagine if they said, you know what? We love Apollos. We prefer that kind of a style. But you know, guess what? He's preaching the same Jesus. He might do it a little bit differently. But you know what? I want to embrace what this guy is doing. Because it's not coming from him. It's coming from him. And then this group of people say, you know what? Hey, why don't we go check out what, what, what Peter's saying? Well, let's embrace this. Because this message isn't different from those two messages. Understand this, you guys. If we don't compromise, listen. If we do not compromise the substance of the truth of the gospel. What's the substance of the truth of the gospel? Here's how Paul synopsis. How would you say it? Here's how Paul qualified it. I'll say it that way. Christ and him crucified. If Christ and him crucified is being preached, I really could care less about the style. I don't care. I don't care if God wants to use a donkey. Could you imagine one morning, Pastor Judy finishes her prayer, and all of a sudden some donkey come up to the front. I don't know if they stand like that. <laughs> what do I care? I don't care. Christ and him crucified, that's what I care about. And if it's a guy that wants to preach with a suit and a tie, great. And he wants to use a sermon manuscript, outstanding. If he wants to stand still, great. If it's a, if it's a woman, if it's old or young, I don't care. Christ and him crucified. Black, white, blue, green, I don't care. That was the whole rationale of Acts. You think about what happened in Pentecost. They start speaking in tongues and these people are praying in languages, different languages, so that all people groups could be what? Brought in. That they could come together, that they could be one, not splintered. Not going in a bunch of different directions. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to divide the church. And he makes all the wrong things important. When Christ and him crucified, that's what's priority one. So if Christ and him crucified, Christ and him crucified, Christ and him crucified, I don't give a rip what that looks like because Jesus is being promoted to the highest place. You got this arguing and bickering going on among you? What's, what, are you what are you guys doing over there at Chloe's house? What are you guys doing? Verse 13, is Christ divided? 
Go to, let's go with me to Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 22 is uh, Jesus and Beelzebub. Here's what it says. Then they brought him, Jesus, they brought to Jesus a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And he healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? I like how the regular common people recognize that. You didn't have to have some kind of theological degree to look at that and begin to question. Maybe this is the promise. This is the Messiah. They saw it. They recognized it. Just like that. When the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom, listen to this, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Does that apply to the church? Is it possible that a church will be ruined if it's divided against itself? These are the words of Christ. Now, of course, what the Pharisees are saying about Jesus couldn't be further from the truth. <laughs> but it's amazing to me that the people who should have known, the people who had the, the education and the learning, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, that they actually could not see what regular common folk could see. If I've ever been in the church and I've realized about people who are coming from the outside into the church, they see it more readily than the church people do. They walk in and they look around and they say, why are there so much fighting here? Why does it seem like nobody gets along? And for the church, it seems like par for the course. That's what we've been doing for the last 50 years. This one doesn't like that one, and that one doesn't like this one, and that one's mad at this one, and that one's uh, gossiping and slandering against that one. And, and, and you have all this bickering in the church, and then we wonder why the people of the world don't want to come back. And what we don't realize is that eventually, that church will shut down. Did you know that churches are closing down on a regular and consistent basis? Don't think for one second that can't happen to your church. That can happen. That's real. Jesus says a kingdom divided against itself. The church divided against the very purpose for the church. How do we get divided? We get divided when we take our eyes off of what's the most important thing. That's when we begin to immediately be divided. Jesus is saying... A kingdom divided against itself will come to ruin. Let's keep reading. This is really good. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. In your families. Are you guys one in your family? Husbands and wives, that you guys are on the same page spiritually? As husbands and wives, do you want the same thing? 
Is the most important thing in your marriage the same thing? When you have a husband that puts God first over and above the wishes of his own wife, and you have a wife that understands that that is the very role of the priest of the home, and they've made peace with the fact that I'm not going to be as important to him as God is, and I'm down with that. I'm, I encourage that. I don't make my husband choose between me and God. I never put him in that situation. I always defer to what God is saying for my husband. And likewise, as a husband towards your wife, that you realize your most important role as a husband, as a priest, is to make the path to Jesus for your wife and your kids, if you have them, as clear and wide as possible so they can get to heaven. When you have a husband and a wife that think that way, now we bring kids into this equation. What we understand about our kids is that they watch every single thing that we do as a husband and a wife. When those kids are able to watch that, they say, my mom and my dad, man, they put Jesus first in everything. They, the most important thing in their lives was that they, they put Jesus first. That they made sure that we knew that God had to be number one. The most heartbreaking thing that I ever see as a pastor is when the husband and the wife are not on the same page spiritually. Because when they're not on the same page spiritually, then they cause that house to be dysfunctional. This is what Jesus is talking about. You won't see a house, a family, a marriage ruined quicker than when two people are trying to have their way. When I do marriage counseling, I'm telling you guys, our number one job is to get people to take their eyes off of each other, off of themselves, and to put them back on Jesus. Because if you're divided in your home, it's not going to last. It's not going to stand. People are getting divorces by the drove. People are leaving their spouses and going and doing something else. And it's epidemic. It's, and it's in the church. Is God number one in your life? If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? Jesus doesn't play. I mean, he always, you know, puts them in a conundrum. They think, we got him. We finally got him. We're going to put him in his place, and he's going to look like a stupid idiot. And they're the ones that end up looking like that instead. Uh, maybe we ought to be quiet. Maybe we ought to not challenge him. It, do, it does sound ridiculous that when we begin to argue our agenda, I want to grab a hold of this, you guys. If we're focused on Apollos or Paul, or Cephas, 
And we begin to argue our agenda with passion and vigor, and we think we, we have an argument, and we're going to present that argument so that everybody knows that we're right. And all of a sudden, you weigh it against what the Word of God says. You begin to look foolish. You ever been there? I was in a board meeting one time, and there was this one guy that really was upset that we weren't singing nothing but hymns. Those hymns, we've been singing them for generations. We've been singing those since I was this high. And now that we don't sing nothing but hymns, just with a piano and an organ, that's just a travesty. It's not right. Drums are a tool from the devil, and guitars, they're also a, a, an instrument of the devil. And he was talking like this in a board meeting, and I'm just listening to him talk. And he goes, it feels like every time I come into the sanctuary, it feels like a bar. It feels like a club. Let him finish. And I said, have you ever heard of a guy named Charles Wesley? And he goes, yeah, the brother of John, John Wesley? I said, yeah, that guy in England, founder of modern Methodism. He said, I said give me, a, give me a, a favorite hymn of yours. He says, oh, one that blesses my soul. And he pulled out his hymnal and he showed me a, the page. And I said, is that, is that a Charles Wesley hymn? He said, yeah. I said, do you know where Charles Wesley got his hymns? We studied this when I was in seminary and some of the mo modern Methodism, you know, all the things that are attributed to the Wesley brothers. And I said, Charles Wesley, his brother preaching the gospel and being an evangelist and, and reaching people for Christ, these people that were rough around the edges, these people that were tavern goers, people that kind of lived hard and lived kind of rough lives and all these kinds of riffraff, well, they were getting saved out there in the open air. John Wesley was one of the first, together with Whitfield, uh, a modern evangelist. And instead of them going to the Anglican church where everything was copacetic and, and just kind of just, they just go out there and preach to people. And people were coming to Christ by the droves, these rough, rough type people. And Charles, knowing kind of their background, borrowed some of these tunes of these songs that were sung in the taverns. Now, what's a tavern? Anybody know what a tavern is? It's a bar. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. They went and borrowed these songs. I, I bet you Brother Clark could do a better job talking about the history of some of these songs. But for our purposes this morning, he just went and took these tavern tunes and put some Christian words on them. Those are the hymns. You like that? How about, anybody like that? I can guarantee you something. The people in the Anglican Church did not have an appreciation for Charles' approach to praise music. Just saying. Did you know that in the days of John Wesley that probably there was a lot of these um, probably in the history of worship, maybe Gregorian chant. Maybe they might have had some of that. And you, can you imagine, in those days, that is a travesty that they would bring those kinds of songs and try to connect them to God when they know that this is the way that we worship God. 
So this guy on the board said, that's not true. I said, it is true. It is true. It kind of does feel like a bar. You're right. Or a tavern. And all of a sudden then, there were a couple of people giggling in the board meeting. Now, this guy had been on the board for decades. He was on the board with Moses. What he began to realize is that he sounded pretty stupid. And I wasn't trying to make him sound stupid. But I'm going to tell you something, that when we put ourselves out there to defend something, we put it out there, and we, we're going we're to detach the most important part of that, all of those things that we were doing, and we detached them, and instead of making it about him, now we've made it about us. That we begin to look pretty foolish. Is it all right for Christians to humble themselves and say, you know what, I missed the boat on that? Is it okay for Christians to actually say, you know what, I've been wrong about that? I've thought this for a long time. But God has helped me to see that while that was okay, and that was good, and that was excellent for my faith, that God wants to incorporate this, and this is going to be good too. Why is there the bickering? Why is there the arguing at Chloe's house? Because they're focused on the wrong things. Apollos? Outstanding. We like Apollos. I like Paul. And guess what? I like Cephas. I like them all. Because they promote Jesus. What do I care? Do I have preferences? Sure. But I've not made it about my preferences. Understand this, and we'll close with this this morning. In the scripture, it talks about, and this is the first commandment, that we should love the Lord our God. That we should have no other gods before Him. And it speaks about idolatry. That we should have no graven images. King James, it talks about that we shouldn't have these Things that we craft with our hands, with our imaginations. Included in that are all of these things that we esteem and that we value as things that we call Christian. When we talk about worship, who are we supposed to worship? We worship God and Him alone. What's happened in the churches is this, you guys. We worship all the things of God instead of the God of the things. The object of our worship has been replaced. Instead of God being that very object of our worship, and now we worship what we want to worship, what we like. And I want to submit this to you this morning as we get ready to go and pray. Are there habits and rituals and ideas and things and people, including ourselves, that we have scooted God out of the way and we have placed at the center? 
And we have to realize this morning that it, no, it's not about any of this. And we're going to take it back to what it's supposed to be. Christ and Him crucified. God, usher in the change that you see that I need in my life. And I'll, I'll, I'll be all right with that, over and above my preferences, over and above my comfort zone. If that's one of us this morning, you guys, as we go to prayer, let me say that there's never shame in realizing about our lives that we've allowed certain things to creep in there that shouldn't be there. And the best thing is that this morning, every single one of us, we go like this and we realize we're alive. Is that it's, it's an opportunity for me, if I recognize that, to make it right. And God's will for us is that we do make it right. We can make it right. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. He's not a respecter of persons. If he's the guy this morning saying, hey, listen, I'm extending to you yet more grace, yet a different opportunity for you to put me first. As the praise and worship team plays and as lights come down, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, open up the altars. If you feel like you need to come and pray, by all means, please, come and get before the Lord.
This morning we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we're able to look at it and examine as your Holy Spirit would make it clear to our conscience that we weigh it in our own lives and that good introspection that the Holy Spirit helps us that if there's issues or challenges to the change that you want to usher into our lives, the issue for us this morning is, do we trust you? Do I trust you that whatever it is that you're trying to instigate in my life, that I've made peace with the fact that you are a good God, that you are not going to steer me in the wrong direction, that you know better for my life than I ever could. And so this morning, would you help us in our attitudes, in our thinking, and in our actions to follow you no matter where you lead? We're grateful this morning, God, that we have an opportunity to walk with you, to live for you. May we take full advantage of it as we surrender our lives to your Lordship. And we'll give you the praise. As we get ready to go off in the different directions that we're going, with a brand new week and all the challenges that await us, might we go with your grace, with the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us until we meet again. And so we're grateful, Lord God for this time this morning. We give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you're 
finding the exits, find someone before that to tell them how grateful you are that they're here in God's house. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.